Chapter 15 Through the Looking Glass It's been two weeks, still no sign of Molly. But a lot of stuff has gone on meanwhile. The HG World Newsletter has ended. Everyone seemed to love it. I got a chance to meet the mayor and even had an appointment to talk with Manager Jack. But at the last minute, Jack canceled, and the day after I asked Ruby for the third, polite time to reschedule, the plug got pulled on my whole wall of weird. No more newsletters. No more access to special places. Of course, no one told me. They just changed the codes on the copier. My key to the schoolroom still works, but my access to the site records archive is now limited. Something strange is afoot. Lucky for me, I have Ruby's credentials. She writes her password on a post-it stuck to her desk and can get to whatever I need for right now. When I asked Ruby about why we were giving up on the paper, she gave me that giggly sing-song full of lies about budgets and time and the mysteries of management decisions. But as a parting gift for all my hard work, they moved me from my little quad-dorm cot out into the garden section. I moved out to what the management calls Evans Acres yesterday into this adorable little converted wood playhouse. It looks like a little wedding chapel with whitewashed sidings and a fake latticework porch and even a little picket fence. It's the kind of upper-middle-class version of the refrigerator box I used to play house in when I was little. Except this one is wired for a light, has a little kitchen, sleeping area, and room for my stuff. It's because I was so busy with the newsletter, the subsequent move, and looking for Molly that I've been too busy to keep up on the diary. But I've kept notes intending to come back. I have to wonder if Jack knows how much stuff I learned about operations by just asking the right people the wrong question at the most appropriate moment. Say what you want about it, but there's something to be said about playing up the dumb little girl angle for a bunch of middle-aged men who want to believe that what they do is essential for the survival of the human race. Some of the men in this place are so tightly wound that they tell me their darkest secrets for a quick wink and a modest forward lean. You can tell the worst ones who try so very hard not to show their interest. They forget that people have peripheral vision and their eyeline drops an inch for every degree we look away from their eyes. The world hasn't changed, brothers and sisters, but I am learning how to work within its rules every day. The infirmary was very informative. David's advice to check out the real infirmary here was not just a casual passing thought. I get the impression he considered long and hard about sharing that idea, and I'll tell you why. HG World is all about appearances and all about keeping people calm. Like in Stephen King's Green Mile where they talk about not getting the death row inmates riled up because they are all facing death and Lord knows they have nothing to lose. If O'Neill could melt down without warning, there's little to prevent someone or a group of someones thinking they were trapped like rats and storming the fire doors to the outside. So... Sick people, meltdowns, the disruptive, and the ones who just don't fit in well. They're moved to the real infirmary. And since I'm apparently not able to write about it for anyone else, I guess I'll report it here.
Once the doc decided that seeing me wouldn't trigger another episode, I was able to visit O'Neill in what they call the care center. That's where you go if you smash your finger in a door, get diarrhea, or need special supplies or medicine. Very few people stay too long. There's a quarantine section that they used when three people came down with whooping cough. That's where O'Neill is resting now. He's still under observation. He had some type of seizure shortly after he arrived from the roof. If your condition worsens, I'm told, there's yet another level where the doc might send you. As he says, just in case. I asked Doc about that special area, and he brushed it off saying it was technical and sensitive, like that would get me to shut up about it. I talked with O'Neill a little bit, not sure if it was the medication or if he's just depressed, but he spoke like there was no real life to him. He doesn't remember anything about giggling. He remembered swatting a ball off the roof and hitting one of the eaters right on the bridge of the nose. It went down in a heap, he said. After taking his bow to David and me, Queen's We Are the Champions started playing in his head, but he couldn't remember the lyrics. Under other circumstances, he could just look up the lyrics or maybe ask someone if they had the song, but that was the start of it. He couldn't get the tune out of his head. It just got louder and began looping as he tried to clear it out. He tried to remember his wife's face, but he could only see Freddie Mercury standing next to him outside their house in Youngstown. He tried to hear her voice, but couldn't break out of the skipping record of that song. The same few bars repeated in his head in an endless loop until all his effort was pouring into. I've paid my dues, time after time. I've paid my dues, time after. Paid my dues until he hit the ground hard and the world went dark. As he spoke, I found myself drawn to the door at the far side of the room. Unlike the quarantine door, which had a frosted window pane inset to the top half, this was a heavy steel door with a number pad attached to the handle. It looked more like a refrigerator door set into the wall than a portal to somewhere else. I guess O'Neill noticed my curiosity because, before I left... He nodded to the door and whispered, 011068. I'm sitting here on my cot with a go bag. I have that code written on a slip of paper in case I forget it between here and the infirmary. I'm at a crossroads here. Honestly, I always believed that I would eventually, one day, die and that the world would go on with its deadlines and goals and milestones. I never thought that the world would die and I'd be forced to keep living in it. So many of us seem to be caught between worlds with no purpose and no plan. I refuse to live that way anymore. I'm not a guest or a refugee. I'm a prisoner. And now I want to know why. Many things about this place make no sense. Don't add up and point to something scary at the root of it all. My next entry will reveal if I chickened out. Or if I follow Molly into the dark and dirty catacombs of the Down Under. <laughs>